Good morning, folks. Um, take a guess of where we're going to be this morning. Good guess. Good guess. Matthew chapter 5. That's right. <laughs> we could, I mean, I could make that work. That's right. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to focus in on verse 7 this morning and talk about mercy. So if you're, our, if you're just catching up or our guest this morning, I'll explain to you really quickly what we've been doing. So we started going through the Gospel of Matthew. That's one book in the Bible, the first one in the New Testament. It's Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples. It's his recollection of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the things that he experienced, what Jesus taught, uh, what Jesus did, where he came from, all of those things. And the first four chapters are, are Matthew's, uh, those are his way, it's his way of establishing Jesus' identity and his purpose. So if you want to know where Jesus came from, what his parents were, where he lived, uh, what his mission was, how, he, how all that kind of unfolded, that's the first four chapters of Matthew. And then in chapters 5 through um, uh, 7, we're, going, we're getting a, a, a long sermon that Jesus gave um, up on a mountain sitting down you know, from a position of authority teaching his immediate disciples and some others who are in the crowd kind of you know, gathered around listening to Jesus' teaching because part of ministry is teaching. Um, so it's his identity and his purpose and, what he's, and then what he taught. And then we'll get into some of the, the things that Jesus did that he executed, the ministry that actually brought about a little bit later on and how that all unfolded. But right now we're kind of really deep into, um, we're, we're ankle deep right into it in terms of chapters, but we're pretty deep into it in terms of principle. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 verse 7. So in the very beginning of Jesus' sermon, he is laying out what it means to be a, a follower of Jesus. He, he is establishing the values of kingdom life, right? So if you were interviewing at a company uh, for a job, uh, one of the questions you would ask is, tell me about what's really important. What are the values of this company? What's, what, what, what is the culture like? And Jesus is answering that question for what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. If, if you want to know what it's like to be a Christian, if you want to know what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God, uh, Matthew 5, 3 through, um, through 11, through 10 um, is, is, an, is the answer. Um, if you want to know, then the first thing is verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, by the way, we, we call this the Beatitudes because of the word beatus is the Latin word for blessed. And that's where we get our English version of the word Beatitudes, if you're wondering where that comes from. So Jesus says, if, uh, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, we are poor in spirit here. We are not people who are self-made. We are not people who are full of ourselves. We don't have reels or, uh, on Instagram. Uh, we, we don't have stories about ourselves. Uh, we, we are empty of ourselves. Um, we, we recognize that before God, we are absolutely nothing. We, we, we see the holiness of God and And then we realize the the sin of our own lives because we've gotten to see how wonderful and holy he is. And so we're just, we're empty of self. And that leads us to number two, which is to be mournful. We are blessed are those who mourn. We mourn our sin. We mourn the sin and the brokenness of this world. This is a sad and somber thing for us. Um, But we are comforted. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. We're comforted by the fact that God is at work as demonstrated in the work of Jesus Christ who died for our, paid the price for our sin, who defeated death in his resurrection, and who is 
uh, ascended to the throne and is now sovereign over this world and is bringing in his kingdom. Slowly but surely, it is coming. And so we look ahead. We're comforted by that reality, even as we live in the reality of sin in this world. Okay. So that's how we live before God. We are humble people. This is more about our relationship with each other, the defining characteristic or trait of a Christian as far as the world is concerned, ought to be humility. Those two, really, those words ought to be synonymous. You're a Christian? Oh, you're humble. That's, that is the defining quality and trait of what it means to be a Christian in our relationships with other people. This does not mean we're doormats. This does not mean that we're just walked over. Um, it doesn't mean that we're weak. It, it, means that, it just means that we're truly humble. We are servants to the world. Um, and so we hunger, verse 6, we hunger and thirst for uh, righteousness. We are, we are seeking after the realities of the kingdom of God to be present in the kingdom of this world. That's what we're after. That's what we're hungry for. We're not after the things of this world to satisfy our longings. We're after the things of God to satisfy our longings. And if we will seek after that righteousness, if we'll seek after the person of Jesus and the work of the gospel, if we'll seek after those things, that will satisfy us and we will want to bring it to bear in this world that we live in until, King, until Jesus comes back or we go and be with the Lord. Okay? One of the expressions of hungering and thirst for righteousness, and there are going to be three of them, they are in verse 7, 8, and 9. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. So that's where we're going. These are, if you're going to hunger and thirst for righteousness, um, the way that this is going to manifest itself, there are three ways that Jesus highlights. And the first one is, blessed are those who are merciful. We're going to talk about mercy today. Now, I um, I was a Boy Scout growing up in middle school and high school. Are there any Boy Scouts? Any Eagle Scouts, maybe? Uh, in there? No Girl Scouts? Girl Scouts counts, too. Girl Scouts counts, too. Trail Life, are we doing? Uh-huh? We are Boy Scouts. Boy Scouts. Awesome. Very good. So I was a, I was a Boy Scout uh, growing up. My, my parents were super intentional about doing this, not because they were Scouts at all, but because when you grew up in the 80s and 90s, there were no, like my television had a knob that I had to go up to and turn. You know, there were 12 options. And uh, so, so like no phones, no internet, no gaming devices that you could walk around with, just the big fat Atari stick, you know. Um, so, you know, we were really a small town. Like you were going to get in trouble really fast if your parents weren't super intentional about having you in some leadership program or whatever. And the Boy Scouts was one of those things for me all the way to, to, to Eagle. And we took trips. Um, you know, Bob Reed and, and Robert Heslop, for all of their flaws, were also really great men. And, um, and they took us on all these hiking trips, all the camping trips and hiking trips all, all the time. They were such, such good servants of the, of the community. But because they're, you know, the best you could hope for in a long road trip on a scouting trip, is a, is a Sony Walkman with a cassette tape, you know, that you played. And you couldn't really, you know, carry around like more than 10 or 12 of those at a time. And, uh, and they weren't, it's not like they were embedded in your ear, they were over ear. And so everybody in the van could hear what you were listening to. Um, or a book, but who's going to read a book on a group full of boys paneled into a van? That's just not going to happen. Not even a comic book was really acceptable at the time. And certainly not your Boy Scout handbook. Um, 
So we, we would come up with games by which we would try to hurt each other in a way that was acceptable, right? So, you know, the two that I remember the most were um, one game that we just called um, Mercy. And we would just interlock hands and begin. Did you play this? Who wants to play with me now? Just I'm kidding. I knew you would. You would just, we'll play in the, we'll play in the car at lunch. Okay, but, so we'll we just try and bend each other's hands until you just were out of position. Then you knew you were going to lose and you had to cry out mercy. And you were quite literally at the mercy of this person who then has the option of destroying you <laughs> or relieving you right, of actually showing mercy or, or, or not. We would also do this with a game called Pluck, was the name. So you would hold out your left hand and without a ring. And you would, another person would just, you know, pluck and then until it was so swollen. I mean, it was better than reading, right? Like, and the, so the rules of engagement were, when I say I'm done giving you my fist, I'm done giving you my fist, right? It was, it was, it was a request for, for mercy. So that, and just the name of the game tells you what mercy is, right? Mercy is compassion for people in need. That's what mercy is, huh? Kick the can is not a game of mercy, but also fun. Mercy assumes that there is a miserable situation going on, okay, and relief is needed. That's mercy. It it assumes that there are circumstances that are weighing you down and you need something to lift it off of you. That is mercy. Here's Here's the definition of mercy I'm going to say many times today. Mercy is removing, reducing, or relieving someone's distress. It's removing or reducing or relieving someone's distress. It's compassion in action. So when you read Titus 3.5, which says God saves us because of His mercy. Or Ephesians 2.4, where it says God is rich in mercy. He's saying that God has saved us because He is rich in relieving people removing or reducing the weight of distress and discouragement and brokenness and pain and problems that are in our life. He is rich in that. It is His nature to be merciful. God's reaction to our misery is mercy. That's His response. That's what God is like. So it's not a surprise When Jesus says that the people who are citizens of this kingdom are merciful people. We are merciful people. Christians are to be merciful. We are are ambassadors of the true king. He is a merciful God. We are to be a merciful people, a long-suffering, common grace people. Our reaction to an individual's misery or the world's misery is not indifference. It is not judgment. It is not hostility. It is not anger or anything like that. 
our reaction to the world's problems is mercy. Christians are to act in such a way that we reduce, we relieve, or we remove misery that has come into a person's life. That's what Christians do. That's what God has done in Christ. It is what we do as God's people, as citizens of His kingdom. It's what we bring. We're merciful people. Blessed are those who are merciful. Now, as I was, as I was reading through this, I inevitably started getting confused about the relationship between mercy and grace and justice. Those three terms, mercy, grace, and justice. So I want to define those terms and maybe illustrate those a little bit, and then we're gonna, we'll dive into the second half of this, of this text. So let's, let's compare and contrast these principles of, of mercy with grace and justice. So three really simple definitions to do that. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Grace is you getting. It is the gift that you do not deserve. Justice is getting what you do deserve. And mercy is not getting what you do deserve. You understand the relationship there. Grace is the gift that you get that you don't deserve. Justice is what you actually deserve and you receive. Mercy is not getting the justice which you deserve. That's mercy, okay? So a couple of illustrations. I have not had a lot of run-ins with police officers, thankfully, in my life. Not that I couldn't have had more, but I've not had some, okay? But there have been two that stand out to me. So I was 18, 19 years old, and I was driving from, from, I was driving from North Carolina, the mountains of North Carolina, to Mississippi. And the, so you come down the mountain at about 30, you know, 30 miles or so, and then you kind of get into the foothills. And it's in those foothills um, that are really, really fun to drive, especially if you're, you know, like to drive, and you're in a two-door Honda Accord coupe um, with the, with, you know, when it's 75 degrees and the sunroof's open and your Tears for Fears is playing and, you know, all of that. And your girlfriend's in the passenger seat because you've been with her and, and your dad and your brother and his friends and, and you've been in the mountains on vacation. Life is just good and it's just, and so we are taking these switchbacks at a high rate of speed. Not super dangerous, but not the safest thing I could have ever done. And I'm coming down the mountain, and it's just me and my girlfriend in, the, in our car. My dad's back, is behind us a couple, three miles because he can't keep up with two-door coupe coming down the mountain. And then, you know, you kind of get into more and more straightaways, and I just kind of come out of the turn, which you're supposed to accelerate out of a turn, by the way, and you're again, I'm going down this, this straightaway, 65 and a 45, and I come around this nice turn straight into the path of a South Carolina highway patrolman outside of Wahala, South Carolina. And so I immediately, I'm terrified. Like I've, I'm an Enneagram 3. The fact that I've now disappointed somebody, the end is near. So I immediately pull over as soon as the road allowed me to do so safely, how, which is interesting that I got very concerned about safety in that moment. And he, you know, he, you know, turned around, pulled up behind us, and he just kind of asked me, you know, our, our story. And I didn't make anything up. I just told him the whole thing. You know, my dad's behind me. I'm, this is what I was doing. I was just having to, you know, da 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 I realized I was, I was very apologetic. So he walked, he walked back to his patrol car. He had my license. You know, he's tapping it on his, on his clipboard. And I'm like, you know, what do you think he's going to do? You know, I'm just sweating. You know, my dad drives by, you know. <laughs> My, my dad, you know, just, I could see the smile, and he's, you know, unbelievable. Um, 
And so I'm just hoping, you know, I'm hoping, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? What I wanted more than anything was mercy in that moment, right? I didn't want justice. I wanted mercy. And that's what he did. He gave me a warning. And that warning had an imp- that act of mercy had an impact on me until it didn't. <laughs> when I was driving at the age of 23 down the Bluegrass Parkway in Kentucky, I had a flip phone at this point in time. And even though it was plugged into my lighter adapter, it was having to work so hard getting a cell signal through the Bluegrass of Kentucky that I could not keep a connection. My phone kept dying as my girlfriend at that time was breaking up with me over the phone. So I was devastated emotionally, angry, frustrated, hurt at technology, at her. I mean, what in the world? You know, I'm 23, I'm single in a ministry. This is never going to work. All the things that you're going through your mind. And I used my gas pedal to express my frustration since nobody was in the car to see me cry until the Kentucky Highway Patrolman waiting on the Bluegrass Parkway saw me going by at a high rate of speed, right? And I just pulled over, and I was in tears, and I told him exactly what happened, the whole truth, just like I did with the guy in South Carolina. And he took my license, and he tapped it on the clipboard as he walked back to the thing, except he wasn't thinking about, do I let him off? He was thinking about, do I take him in? Because I got justice that day, right? Now, there was no grace in either of those moments. No gift was given to me that I didn't deserve. But in one of them, there was mercy. And in one of them, there was justice. You see the difference? So that's the relationship between those things. And Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, right? So I've watched in my childhood far too much late night stand-up comedy as a middle schooler. And which the, the evidence of this is that as I'm writing a sermon, I, the, what immediately comes to mind is something some comedian said when I'm trying to think of how to illustrate. And one very famous comedian, whose name I will not mention, asked a very piercing question that I've never, never forgotten. He's, he asked this question. He said, have you noticed that anybody driving slower than you is an idiot and anybody driving faster than you is a maniac? You think about that for a second. Anybody driving slower than you is an idiot, and anybody driving faster than you is a maniac. You know, there's a lot under. I mean, there is a lot to unpack about the human condition in that question. But what one thing that that question shows is that you and I are bent toward justice as long as it doesn't fall on us. By nature. We want to receive mercy and give justice. We want to be just and receive mercy. We want the beatitude to be, blessed are the just, for they will receive mercy. That's what we want it to say. But that's not what it says. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And you can't do this halfway. Meaning there's no being merciful to some types of people and not being merciful to other types of people. Jesus does not specify the categories of people that he has in mind to whom we are to show mercy. 
which is the whole point. Well, it's not the whole point, but it's one of the primary points of the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? A man is half beaten on the road, and these various religious people, for reasons that are attuned to the keeping of the law, do not go near him or help him. And then the Samaritan of all people, the half-breed Jew with the false religion, goes over to this man and cares for him, takes him to a hotel, pays for all of his concerns. And the question posed to Jesus in this parable was, who, who, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the story and he says, now you tell me, who, who is the neighbor? And the answer from the person, he couldn't bring himself to say Samaritan, said, the one who showed him, what's the word? Mercy. mercy. What's mercy? He relieved, reduced all of the problems that he could in this one man's life. The one who relieved or removed or reduced the weight of distress, the discouragement, the brokenness, the pain and the problems that fell upon this man. The question of who your neighbor is is just, it's, it's anybody that you can help. That you can, and, and to be a good neighbor is to bring mercy. It's to bring mercy. Our God is a merciful God and He shows mercy continuously and that's what the citizens of the kingdom of heaven must show mercy as well. That's what we must must do. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. What does this look like? Holly and I are involved in the short-term vacation rental Airbnb community. Do you know know what happened when Ukraine was invaded by Russia? We saw this two days before the news caught up on it. It was in all the, all the Facebook groups that you know, you, we track uh, and, and, and be a part of. Uh, people, air, people who own vacation rentals were renting every single Airbnb that they could find in the country of Ukraine as a way of sending money to them and support them. And then, after they would book it, they would say, we're not coming you can clear your calendar and book these days as many times as you'd like as a way of sh- what's that? That is relieving, right? It's relieving uh, and, 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 and supporting and bringing uh, mercy to people. It is kingdom of God type work, right? Isaiah 117 provides physical and emotional support in a safe and loving home to children who are awaiting foster care placement. That's a ministry of mercy, right? Portico provides care for women who find themselves pregnant and don't know what to do, and they provide care for infants who are in utero. It is a ministry of mercy. Safe Haven leads our, is Nashville, leads the community effort to house, support, and empower and advocate for families who are experiencing homelessness. Almost all of them are women and children who are being abused by husbands or fathers. That's a ministry of of mercy. Habitat for Humanity builds houses for people who can't afford shelter. It's a ministry of mercy. Virtually every hospital system in this world is rooted in the faith as a ministry of mercy. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. We won't get what we deserve when we demonstrate that we did not get what we deserve. That's what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. I will never forget the story of Dr. Frank Thielman in our, uh, one of our New Testament classes. We're talking about this, talking about mercy. 
and he told the story of walking through the city of New Orleans with our Old Testament professor, Dr. Matthews. And they were approached by a homeless man or presumed homeless man, somebody asking for money. And without hesitation, Dr. Matthews opened his wallet and handed the gentleman what Dr. Thielman said was a sizable amount of cash, which for a professor may have been like $20, right? So for the whatever. But he handed him more money than you would have thought he was going to handle him. And then they walked on their way. And Dr. Thielman began to wax eloquent to Dr. Matthews about why he, you know, he, his theology, about why he doesn't give cash directly to the poor, and on and on and on, and how that might be this, that, and the other. And, and Dr. Matthews said, Frank, I didn't give the money to him for him. I gave the money to him for me. I wanted to know by the fact that I did this work that I have received the mercy of Jesus. So I have acted merciful toward him. I wasn't doing it necessarily because I had a broken heart and a lot of compassion for him. I did it because I wanted to know for me that I really did feel the gospel and that God had been merciful to me. For they shall receive mercy. God said, blessed are they, for they will receive mercy. The last thing I want you to see from this text is that grace and justice and and mercy, all three of these take place in the cross. Mercy is, is such a Jesus. It's crucial that we do these things out of the root of the gospel. There's a difference between what Christian mercy looks like and just plain compassion looks like. It's great, common grace. It's great. It's great that there's a lot of misery. But if we divorce it as Christians from the gospel, then we're losing the goal of mercy ministry, which is to make people understand who Jesus is and what he's done in their life, right? Which is ultimately what matters. The most merciful thing we could do is point people to the greatest act of mercy on their behalf. Okay. So in the cross, you have justice, Jesus is judged for sin. The price that must be paid is paid. God is holy. He's not indifferent to sin. He's not indifferent to what is right and wrong. God is just and he acted justly. Christ died. The price was paid. There was a death. The price was paid for sin. But there is mercy at the cross. We weren't the ones who paid the price. We deserved it, but Jesus paid it. God acted mercifully toward us. He removed the weight of our brokenness. He removed the weight and the distress as a result of our sin and rebellion. God did not give us what we deserved. He didn't. He was merciful. And grace takes place at the cross. The perfect, righteous life of Jesus is credited to our account. Our lives are anything but righteousness. Our lives are anything but acceptable to God. But when God looks at the work of Jesus, he pardons us, and the life that Jesus lived is credited to our account. That's a gift. That's grace. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy, which gives us an opportunity as individuals and as a church to explain the root, which is the cross. Let's pray together.
Blessed are the merciful. Lord, we are, we are blessed, approved by God and content and happy in that state of being yours. We are approved and we're content there in a state of, uh, and, and that results in a life of mercy to this world. We've received mercy. We continue to receive and experience mercy, and that manifests itself in a merciful ministry, whether that's individually or corporately through the church, to individuals and to this world. So we, we, we examine our relationships now in light of this reality, make us long-suffering, make us hesed, make us kind in our, in our relationships. May we be agents of people who relieve and reduce the distress of the circumstances of this world on one another to those that we're ministering to and then corporately to all the, all the entities that we're trying to bring about either through common grace or, and by proclaiming the special grace, bringing mercy, bringing mercy, bringing mercy. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.